so anticipate on having an awful lot of guests uh, with us for two weeks. Okay, yeah, d- thank you to Daniel. Two weeks, not next week, two weeks. Everybody's looking at me and they're like, this dude needs a calendar. I do need a calendar. You're right, that's absolutely true. So two weeks, not next week, two weeks from now, Yosef uh, Daniele will be here uh, teaching and sharing a little bit about his life, his ministry in the land. He is a believer in Jesus, uh, living in the land. And so we're very excited to have him. We're going to have a lot of guests here, I believe, that weekend. Hi, Shepherd. And uh, so if you would bring some extra food to share for Oneg after service for our guests, um, that would be fantastic. Uh, March 16th, uh, we'll also have Brad Scott of the Wild Branch Ministry here as well as a guest speaker. So excited to have Brad uh, here with us. Um, Also want to remind all the parents of teenagers, Camp Yeshua registration is open. It is almost completely full so if you have a teenager who would like to attend summer camp, it's in Anadarko, about an hour south of here. Uh, you need to go to campyeshua.com, get them registered. Uh, Ephraim is the camp director. I will be uh, spearheading the praise and worship, and we've got a lot of fantastic teachers, and just a great, it's a great week of fellowship all the way around. Um, the 10th and the 24th of this month, we will have our outreach at the Grace Living Center. And so if you would like to be a part of either teaching or leading the worship or fellowshipping with some of our senior citizens in the area, please see Stephen and uh, and or Alicia Drews. Uh, they'll be spearheading that outreach for us. And so uh, they, the, the older folks in the home just love the fellowship. They love to have people come play with, uh, play games with them. Uh, Stephen does some worship, does a little message for them, has a little mini service, and they just absolutely love having, having us there. And so... Um, you know, I think that's one of the one of the greatest outreaches that we can do is to uh, take care of our seniors. Uh, I know when I am at that age, I will have hoped that uh, they will, my kids and the kids after me, the generations after me, will also take care of me at that stage. So, we want to give honor where honor is due, and uh, and that is to those who have served us before us. Um, even though I'm kind of getting in that gray hair stage myself. So I'm the, I'm the in-between of all the little babies running around here and, uh, and my grandparents and parents. Men's prayer breakfast is February 10th. That will be at Monty Judah's home. If you need the address, the address is in the bulletin. I'm not going to give that out since uh, we have the online audience. Um, I want to remind everybody about our weekly prayer gathering. Uh, this is an area that is extremely important. No matter what your uh, denomination of faith is, and that is prayer. Um, today, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about those people who say that they're not prayer warriors or they don't have the gifting of prayer. Uh, and so, I want to encourage you to come uh, before the service, even if it's 10 to 15 minutes. If that's all you can get up and do, come join. We've got the the frickers are in there, the drochers, sometimes the fosters. We've got a lot of people who will come and they'll pray not only for the service but for the needs in the community. We know we have a lot of needs in the community right now. There's surgeries going on. There's illnesses going on. There's all kinds of stuff, financial. There's stuff constantly going on in this world, and this world is ever-changing. So if you would like to join with them, even if you don't personally have a need, you would like to join with them to lift up the other people in prayer uh, in our community, in our congregation. That's every week before service. They're there at 945, is that correct, Roxanne? And that's when they start, and they go as long as the Lord tells them to, so um, right up to the service time. So we'd like to encourage you to come, join, be a part of that. If you are not comfortable being a part of that, but you do have a prayer request, please see Carlos and Lynn. Let us pray for you. Let us lift you up before the Father. Um, And so if you have a need, if you have a prayer, uh, please get that to them. 
And we'll be uh, praying for you on that. Uh, our small groups are still going. We have the Bible study on 2 Timothy, which is at the Frickers' home on, on every Thursday evening at 6.30. Once again, that's right here on the line of Moore and Norman. So it's very easy to get to. Uh, so we would like to encourage you to be a part of that. And then the Real Family Life Marriage Group, which meets February 9th and the 26th at 6.30. This is going to be at the Wigington House in OKC. Once again, there's more information on that. So if you'd like to be a part of one of our small groups, please uh, please gather the information from the bulletin and go. Um, I know it's a little bit of a waste. Hi, Brian. I, since uh, since Brian, this is the second week in a row that Brian's waved to me, I just want to give a shout out to Brian. He's not going to be happy that I'm doing it, but one of the greatest elements that we can do is to greet people when they walk through that door. Um, we have a lot of new people who come on a weekly basis, and, and they don't maybe know a lot about us, but when you are greeted at the door, somebody opens the door for you, has a smiling face, it goes a long way in the testimony of of the love and the faith that we have as believers here. And so I just want to thank Brian. He uh, he has religiously been devoted to standing at that door for a long period of time to make sure that when people come in that there's a, there's a smiling face. And if you haven't spoken to Brian one-on-one, if you need to pick me up, if you need some joy, he's the guy you need to go see because he's always smiling, always, uh, always goofing around lighthearted. He's a great guy. Um, Shavuot, it's coming up. I know it's a little bit far away. We haven't even got to Pesach. We haven't got to Purim. We haven't got to any of this. But Shavuot is, is going to be different this year than it has been in the past. HFF will not have a service here that weekend. We will actually be teaming with Lion and Lamb Ministries and going to the Shavuot Conference in Dallas. It's just north. I think, in fact, it's uh, right on the northern loop of Dallas. And um, I'm a foodie. I'll just have to tell you I like food. Um, I'm becoming a foodie. There's an In-N-Out burger on the parking lot. That shouldn't be a selling point to keep the feast, but come on, let's just be honest. I mean, I like Whataburger. I really do, but I also like In-N-Out and In-N-Out's there. So there's an In-N-Out there uh, on, the, on the, the complex for it, but uh, we're going to have a lot of great speakers, great worship times, prayer times, stuff for all the ages. There will not be a service here that week. So um, if you would like to attend that, would like to be a part of that, you do have to register at ShavuotEvent.com. And I'm going to keep reiterating this because this is what our community is for. If you financially cannot afford to register for that conference, do not not go. Come see one of the leadership, Daniel, Ephraim, myself, any of our wives, find somebody and let us know. There are people who give to this congregation to help other people be able to go and do things like this in keeping the feast. It's not just for when you have financial issues or you need help on a daily basis. It's to promote keeping the feasts of the Lord. So if you would like to attend that, you would like to gather with regional brethren and you financially cannot do so on your own, that's what we're here for is to stand with you and help you get to the feast. Now, obviously, if you want to go to another feast, we'll still do that. You don't have to come to the same feast that we're, we're helping to host and put on and be a part of. If you would like to go attend something else and you can't financially afford, let us know. Our goal as a, as a body of believers is to help promote Keep the Feast. So um, how are you feeling today? You feeling good? All of you. Everybody's looking around like, who's he talking to? I'm talking to all of you. Feeling good? Yes? Yes? Oh, I got a thumbs up. I like thumbs up. How about you? Titus, you feeling good today? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's find somebody. Let's say Shabbat Shalom. And let's get ready to uh, start off our service by praising the Lord.
Even if I ran away, your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes, but you have new mercies for me every day. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. The chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy.
Yes, you've made all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. Father, on this Sabbath day, on this set-apart time, we come together and we just praise you, Father. Father, we praise you because you make all things work together for good. And Father, even when we stumble, even when we fail, even when we maybe are tired or we're weary, you never fail. You are always working on our behalf, Father. You are always lifting us up. You are always there when we need comfort. And Father, we praise you in this place for all that you are doing in Yeshua's name. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fear is gone. I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb. Chosen me, love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Songs of 
your name in this place. Amen. Amen. God is truly amazing, is he not? I've often wondered if, if I were God, would I save myself? <laughs> I'm not sure I would. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's great. All right. Before I get into the prayer things, i need to give a shout out to some friends of ours who live in Canada, Cal and Bettina, and they're watching this service up there in the cold, freezing. <laughs> so hello, Kyle and Bettina, we love you. And for all of the others that are watching online, thank you for participating in the service. All right, we have a lot of things to pray for. Uh, Ephraim. Chris already mentioned Ephraim's on, on his way down to Dallas-Fort Worth to teach down there. And so we need to be praying for safety for Ephraim as they travel down there. And for his message, that it will be the exact message that God has for the congregation down there in Dallas. So we need to be praying for him. Mark is still scheduled to have his knee surgery on the 13th. So we need to remember to pray for Mark. Uh, for all the things that need to take place in advance for the doctors and the nurses and everybody else, uh, and that all will go well on the 13th. And uh, Corey has her surgery on Monday. And we praise God because none of the complications she had the last time she was scheduled are occurring right now. Praise God. And so we just need to keep praying that it'll stay that way. Her surgery will go fine on Monday. Amen. And Patrice is here. Well, that's a praise. We've been praying for Patrice. So we need to keep praying for her as she's recovering from her surgery. Amen. And uh, talking to Danny this morning, and he's still on hold. They're still waiting on some tests that he has to have done. But, uh, uh, so we need to keep praying for Danny and his situation. Uh, that they can get all this stuff resolved with his bladder or is it, yeah, kidney or whatever it was, something in there, right? And, uh, and, then get, and then he can have his knee surgery also. So we need to be praying for that. And for Verna, she still has issues with the cracked, three cracked vertebrae in her back. And so we need to pray for her as she's in a lot of pain often. Uh, we need to be praying for Gary. Uh, he's a friend of Quentin, and he's in the Philippines, 
And apparently he has picked up some kind of a bug or parasite over there, which is easy to do in some of these countries overseas. And so he's really struggling with some health issues. And uh, so we need to be praying for Gary, that God will resolve those kinds of issues uh, and get him back to health so he can come back home. And we need to remember to pray for Joyce uh, and her situation with her heart. Uh, either She either needs to have a new heart, a heart transplant, or they're going to have to go in and do open heart surgery and put in a pump of some kind that's going to pump her blood for her and regulate it for her. So we need to be praying, keep praying for Joyce and her situation. All right, I think that's pretty much it. So I'm going to turn it over to you, and then I'll close this in a few minutes. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to come before you, to offer up to you prayers for those that we care about. Thank you that you answer our prayers. Thank you that you're merciful to us and gracious to us and that you love us. I am amazed at times when I 
look at my life and go, what a wretched man I am. Why would you save me? Thank you that you did. Thank you that you have saved each person here. Help us to grow in you, Father, to mature into the men and women that you want us to be. I pray that the message that Chris brings today would touch our hearts. Pray for Chris that you would give him the right words. Father, we thank you for this service. We ask you to bless it now. It may be a blessing to you. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, children, if I can have you come up. The baton has been passed to me this morning. <laughs> All right, looks like that might be it for today. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of children, Father. We thank you so much for the blessings that you give us, Father. Thank you, Father, so much of the time that the blessings that you give us, Father, they don't necessarily appeal to our flesh, Father. But, Father, they, they teach us so much. And, Father, right now, I just thank you so much that you're teaching us through our children, that you're desiring, Father, to, to humble us through our children, Father, that, you know, the, the stress that they cause us is for a reason. Thank you, Father, for good equipment. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again, Father, for these children. And right now, Father, I ask for favor and blessing. Thank you that, um, again, as they trickle, Father, under this stage, Father, they trickle into our lives, Father. They keep coming, and it's it's for a purpose. And we just praise you now, Father, for the, their existence, Father. We praise you that um, you bless them, Father, and you bless us through them. Father, we desire that you can continue to build your kingdom, Father, through adding people, through, through hearing of your word, Father, through our testimony, Father, through the testimony of Yeshua. We also thank you that we grow our family, Father, physically with these children, and we get to invest in them, Father, and that's the immediate investment that we have, Father, right in our home. Help us to see them as that, Father, that we can pour out our lives upon them, Father, pour out our love upon them, lavish our love upon them, Father. And as we learn about how Yeshua loves us, may we return that love in kind to our children. Father, we thank you. We praise you for this day. Watch over our children for us, Father. Protect them. Keep their innocence. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right. Bye, Shalom. So uh, this week's uh, 
First five comes from the Torah portion, Mishpatim. Everyone say Mishpatim. You just did your Hebrew lesson for the day. All right. So um, in Mishpatim, uh, it comes from uh, the statement that says, these are the, and then it depends upon your version, right rulings, judgments, or ordinances, depending upon which version you're reading from. Um, those are the different types of ways that this Hebrew word Mishpatim is uh, communicated. Right rulings, judgments, or ordinances. Uh, these are basically the instructions uh, concerning the fair treatment of your fellow man and woman. Um, so examples of these ordinances, these Mishpatim that we see uh, in this uh, week's portion. How to humanely treat slaves. How to respect your parents. How to pay restitution after incurring an injury or loss of some kind. How to be a good steward when borrowing something from your neighbor. Basically, good value ethics, right? These, this, is, this is how you should conduct yourself around others. And these are good uh, rules and instructions that are there simply for making sure that we don't offend people. And if we do offend, that we take the proper steps in order to make restitution with them. You know, all those things that are done away with because we don't need that stuff anymore, right? Because, I mean, who wants to act civilly towards one another? We don't need that, right? No, they, these are very important things that uh, should apply to our lives each and every day. And so one thing that stands out here, if we look in uh, chapter 21, it says in verses 2 through 6, there's this weird instruction that, you know, we don't really have in our, uh, in our society. Okay, uh, but it says, if you buy a Hebrew slave, uh, what? If you buy a slave, yeah, okay, so now, we can talk for a long time, I don't have enough time in the five minutes to talk about why someone would find themselves in a position where they would be either buying a slave or selling themselves into slavery, okay, but if you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. So in other words, there's limits for this type of slavery. It was an indentured servitude, and it was for a period of seven years. Okay? If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. So in other words, if a single guy is selling himself as a slave, and he comes into his master's home, and he doesn't have any family with him, then what happens here is, is the master says, you know, you've been a faithful servant. Um, I'm going to give you a wife. Here's a wife. And so this man takes a wife, and then those two have children. Well, the wife was the, the master's in the first place to give, and thus that wife and the children she produces stay with the master. They're not the, the person who sold themselves into slavery. They're not his to take with him. But, it says, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to Elohim, and then he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. Now, the piercing of the ear wasn't just putting a hole in his ear. It was to place an earring because this was the sign of a slave during those times was to have an earring, okay? Um, that should tell us some things about our modern society, um, how we maybe have misapplied something, okay? 
but the ear in the ring was assigned as a slave, okay? And this, in this scenario, it's someone who says, I found myself destitute. I found myself without hope. I was in debt. I could not pay. And I sold myself to become a slave. And my master has been good to me. And that master has blessed me with a wife and with children. And I, I don't want to leave my master because I know I mess up on my own. Because that's what I did before. And now I'm under the care of this good master. And he's taking care of me. And I don't want to leave this master. So I will submit to him and become his slave for the rest of my life. This is what's happening in this scenario. Now, this, this uh, phrase that's used here where we say slave, it's actually bondservant. Okay? It's the same word. We see this play out numerous times in the New Testament. Uh, Paul, in Romans 1.1, calls himself a bondservant. James, in, in James 1.1, calls himself a bondservant. Peter, in 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, calls himself a bondservant. Jude, in Jude 1.1, 1, 1, notice this is the very first verse of all these books. This is how they introduce themselves. I'm the bondservant of the master. Even Moshe, in Revelation 15.3, is referred to as the bondservant of Adonai. You see... These men, these pillars of the faith, were all bondservants, and they referred to themselves as bondservants, which means they were no longer free men because they had taken themselves symbolically to the the doorpost and allowed the Father to pierce their ear to put a, a mark on them, symbolizing that they serve Him now, that their lives are no longer theirs. Now, Paul, uh, in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, he says, about bondservants, he says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all. See how that kind of fits in with last week's message? Hmm. Kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps... Elohim may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, the way that you behave in non-quarrelsome fashion, patient, in those types of ways, with gentleness when correcting, that is what will lead others to desire what you have. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He goes on in in the uh, book of Philippians in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 to say this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also... In Yeshua HaMashiach, who, although he existed in the form of Elohim, did not regard equality with Elohim to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Even the master became a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If Being a bondservant was good enough for the master. Then it should be good enough for us. So let us take ourselves to our master and say, I will serve you the rest of my days. I no longer serve myself. May you be my master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the richness that we find there and the instruction the ordinances, the right rulings and the judgments that you have given us, 
that allow us to be fruitful, that allow us to walk in a way that honors you and that leads others to you because of our testimony of faith in you. Father, we surrender this day to you, this time to you, and we pray that your spirit, your presence would be here in our midst and that you would speak to us as Chris comes and delivers this message. We thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of your son, Yeshua. Amen. So last week, Daniel taught on us trying to find a little bit of balance in how we approach things in our life, uh, social media, politics, stuff like that. And there was a phrase that he said. Now, this is something that anybody who's studied prophecy, anybody who's been in the Christian church for a period of time, I'm sure you've heard. Uh, I think uh, Jeremy Camp even has a song uh, that mentions this. And, and it is, we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that kind of struck me last week because that was actually a second confirmation to something that a friend of mine who lives in Georgia had told me not too long ago. You see, I, I work in the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement is pretty much seven days a week. My Sabbath is, is Sunday. Don't be shocked. Like today is Sabbath. There's no doubt about that. But the day that I actually get to semi-take off is normally Sunday because obviously we have to open the doors. We turn the lights on. And our job today is to serve you. And so Sunday is normally the day where if I can, I don't get out of my PJs. I, I lay around the house. Uh, you know, my wife says, basically, I turn into like a big baby. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything. I just become a vegetable. And so I get to talk about all the things, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, that happen amongst believers. Now, again, just to put it in context, this is not, this is not unusual for any denomination. You know, I was a part of the Baptist church for many, many years, part of a Nazarene church for many, many years. I always found myself in the, in the 36, almost 37 years I've been on this earth. I've been friends with either the pastor or the pastor's kids or somebody in leadership of a church as far back as I can remember. My stepfather ran and still owns a company that installs projection, computer networking, sound systems, stuff like that in churches, facilities, all this kind of stuff. So I've been around churches and engaged in leadership and politics and all the things that happen inside uh, denominations since I was really, really young. Um, during that time, I got to see how decisions were made. Didn't fully understand it. Sometimes now I, I still don't understand how decisions are made or why decisions are made. And, and that's all a part of me becoming an individual, trying to understand what somebody is saying, trying to understand why they make a decision. And since that's an area that I really like, I like to know how things tick. I like to know why they tick. I'm always looking for why something is the way it is, including myself. For those of you who, who know me on a personal level and get to talk, I'm always talking business. And my business is the Lord. It is the Lord. Everything I do, it is. I mean, I get to go to lunch with some of you from time to time, and I know without a shadow of a doubt you're sitting on the other side of the table, and you're like, yeah, does this guy do anything else? It's like, no, no, honestly, I don't. I don't. This is what I do. I try to serve the Lord, and I try to serve the Lord better. And in those conversations I've had, a lot of times we're, we're trying to understand why do we see some of the negative things, or the things at least that we perceive to be negative, because it, all of us have a different scale and weight. We do. Some people like people who are very direct. 
in their personality, some people think that that's a negative quality. And we're all a little bit different and we're not all a little bit unique. And it's interesting to me and how the Torah portion in the cycle has fallen the last two weeks where we see that the Hebrew people who were slaves were brought out of the land of Egypt and then established as a nation in the wilderness. First, there was a hierarchy. You have Jethro who comes in and says, Moses, you can't be the only leader. There has to be more leaders. And so Moses is like, okay. And so they start creating leaders and they nominate people. And then there's the commandments of the Lord that come down. And the structure starts to form of what a people and a leadership is. Well, one of the negative things that I see is that we don't share enough of our testimony. We share enough, sometimes way more than enough. Sometimes we are addicted to elements of Scripture. And I do mean addicted. Sometimes we idolize elements of Scripture. Yes, you can make, you can make things idols. There is only one God. And I'm not going to get into whether there's a trinity or there's a plurality or whatever, because honestly, I don't think any of us are smart enough to understand that. I really don't. I don't think we were meant to understand that because that was not our purpose for this time. I do think when Messiah comes back, we're going to understand a lot of things that we fought over, we struggled with, you know, and long nights, all that kind of stuff. But it says in the scripture that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. A lot of times when we hear the testimony of somebody about somebody else, and I've taught on this before, normally it's negative. Honestly, most of the time it's negative. If we're going to speak about somebody else, we're normally talking to our friends about a frustrating situation, something we don't like or something we don't understand. This is our modern culture. Everything is about negative. If, if Barack Obama sneezed the wrong way, we wanted to crucify him. If Donald Trump sneezes the wrong way, we want to crucify him. If, if a teenage boy wears a hat that we don't like, we want to crucify him. If somebody else says something, we want to crucify him. We want to talk negatively about everybody because we've come to a place where all of us, all of us are struggling inside. We're struggling. Your pastors struggle. Chris Tomlin struggles. The most professional and most spiritual people you've ever seen struggle. Francis Chan. How many of you here know who Francis Chan is? Some. Francis Chan created a megachurch. Whether the Lord did it through him or he did it himself, I don't know. Never sat down and talked to him. But he was the pastor of a megachurch, had a huge ministry, was traveling all the place, all over the place, and he gave it up because it became a business. It became about him. It didn't become about the calling that the Lord had placed on him. He gave it up. Because it became about him. Our testimonies are us. You cannot separate yourself from your testimony. There is a man who used to be influential in the Messianic movement, and he's made some serious mistakes in his life. I don't even know if he's a believer anymore. I've had no contact with him. But my testimony of what that man did to save my marriage when I came into the Messianic movement can never take away the fact that the Lord used that man at that point in time to have a direct influence on my life. I don't know where he is now. I don't even know if he's a believer. But it can never take away the testimony that I will always speak about that man and what he did in my life. Honestly, I would not be standing here today if it wasn't for him. 
I honestly believe that. Because that man, even though later in life had issues, fell away, whatever took place there, he made a direct impact, and that testimony needs to be shared. I didn't wake up one morning and save my own marriage. No, the Lord brought people to me to mentor me, to teach me, to guide me. And I'll always speak the testimony of that man in that light. Why? Because the Lord can use anyone. The Lord can use anything for his glory. Now that's something we might struggle with as a collective group of people. Because as a collective group of people, over the last eh, 12, 13 years I've been in this movement, which uh, the movement's been around a lot longer than I have, a lot of times the testimony is, is that, and I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record, so I apologize. The church lied to us, our pastors lied to us, our family lied to us, these people lied to us, that person lied to us. You're not doing it right, 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 you're not doing it right. I read the book of Revelation, and just being as smart as I am, which is not that, not the, not that smart, we're not going to overcome by who lied to us how we keep this, how we keep that, how we keep that. No, we're going to overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which we have no control over. Not one of us had any control over whether God sent his son to this earth to die for us. Only thing we control is whether we accept him as the Messiah, whether we accept him as our covering, and we accept him as the atonement for the sin that we still create in our imperfect state. That's the only thing you control about the blood of the Lamb is whether or not you accept that. He died on a cross, a stake, a tree, a hill, whatever you want to call it. And whether you accept it or not doesn't change the fact that it happened. It's what you do with it. And then it's what your testimony is from that moment on that will help you overcome. Because we all have a testimony. In 1981... I was becoming a heartbeat. In 1982, I was becoming a child. In 1990, I was becoming fat. In 2000, I was becoming a college student. In 2001, I was becoming a pothead. Let's be real. In 2001, I was a pothead. In 2003, I became a first shift unloader for a car company. I was becoming a working man. I had met my wife, who wasn't my wife at that point in the time, and I had to get a job. I had to grow up. So I didn't go, didn't finish my college, and so I had to find something. So I was becoming a blue-collar worker. In Ohio, one of our swing states. Woo! In 2002, six months later, I was becoming the second shift supervisor. In 2003, I was becoming the operational team leader over that facility. By the end of 2003, I was becoming the corporate operational team leader all of the age of about 21, 22 years old. I was rising in the ranks very, very quickly. I was becoming a 
success. That's the American dream. Get a white picket fence, get a house, have a, have a career. You're constantly growing in your financial standpoint. You're accumulating things, both wealth. You're accumulating a wife. You're going to accumulate kids. You're going to accumulate a car. You're going to accumulate a beard, so on and so on, and you become popular in your little sect of people. In 2004, I became the assistant to the vice president of the company. I was becoming a success. I was also becoming a butthead. And I, I, I'm becoming better with my words. Because the word I wanted to say was probably going to get me in trouble. And I was becoming a horrible person, not only in my home, but in my office place. But see, I was successful. I was still rising. I was the next in line to take over the company. I'm in my early 20s. Most successful branch manager moved to Nashville, Tennessee to take over and start a facility. I was becoming the hot shot of the company. I was becoming the guy, the youngest guy who got to travel with all the CEO, the owners, and all of them, sit in Aspen, Colorado, sit in a hot tub, smoke cigars, drink whiskey, go skiing, had a nice little vest with my name on it. I was important. I was becoming important. I was also becoming arrogant. I was also becoming prideful. I was also becoming a complete jerk. And borderline almost became an adulterer. That's how bad I had allowed my marriage to get. And we fought. Because both of us were successes by the world standard in our, in our career. And we got to the pit of despair in our relationship. And the Lord stepped in. Why? Because when I became a pothead, I also became anti-church. Walked away from the church. I was no longer a Nazarene. I was no longer a Baptist. I was no longer evangelical free. I was no longer a, a Christmas and Easter Christian. I was no longer anything. I was becoming the world. Now, interesting enough, when I was the age of 13, I became a Christian. I became a believer in Christ. I knew what I was doing. I knew what Christ did. I knew uh, everything about what I was taught. And I accepted him into my life as my Savior. Now, according to Corinthians, when you accept Christ as your Savior, the old should be washed away and the new should come forth and we should be growing in Christ. Well, at the age of 13, I became a believer in Christ. But here I sit at the age of 23, 24 years old. <laughs> the new wasn't new in Christ. I was becoming everything the Bible says you shouldn't be. The Lord reaches down, takes us into the Messianic movement. And that didn't, I mean, there was problems there. The Hebrew I thought was tongues, that freaked me out. Never came from a Pentecostal background. They're saying Shema, and I'm over there like, what did he say? They're dancing, came from the Baptists. You don't do that, because everybody knows dancing leads to sex. I can't dance, and yet I got five kids, so there's flawed logic there, I'm just saying. 
Corinthians says that when we accept Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, that the old is to be gone away and the new is to come forth. But my testimony is not that. The new didn't come forth. I rebelled. I walked away. I've been in the Messianic movement now since 2007. I've had knockdown, drag them out fights with my wife. I've had knockdown, drag them out fights with some of the teachers who are guest speakers here from time to time. I've had knockdown, drag them out fights with just about everybody on the sun. I've cursed, I've smoked, I've drank. I've had moments where I want to walk away from it all. I've had moments where I felt like all this was hogwash. But the difference is, is I've never given up. And one of the things that, I, that scares me the most about what I see in our communities, and, and I'm blessed, I really am. I get to travel. My wife and I, were going on a 16-day road trip to speak and lead worship throughout the southeast uh, next, starting next week. I get to see a lot of our brothers and sisters who share a lot of similarities in our, our practices of our faith all over the country. And a lot of what I hear is what we have become. What we've become. Well, the problem is, is the person who's talking to me is not dead. They're alive. So why are we talking about a past tense? Why are we talking about what we have become? I deal with this all the time at Lion and Lamb Ministries. People email and they're like, did you know that such and such happened in 1995? Did you know such and such happened three months, six days ago? And I'm like, man, I I deal with 75,000 people every single month. So that means I've dealt with about 30,000 people since I talked to you or that incident happened. What happened after that? I don't want to talk anymore as a movement, as a congregation, as pastors. I don't want to talk about what we've become. Because if the Israelites had done the same exact thing, all they would have walked around doing at the base of Sinai and said, Hi, I'm a slave. Hi, I'm a slave. Hi, I'm a slave. This nation has gotten to a point where all we do is talk about what we've become. Did you, did you stop believing in God? Did you believe that God stopped existing? That he stopped moving? We may have become it, but what are we becoming? Hey, I became a believer. I became a Messianic in 2007. Who cares? What are you becoming? Are you becoming a child of God? Because ultimately, every day of our life is a part of the progress of the journey. You could have been saved when you were 13, and you could have gone out, and you could have basically turned yourself into Hitler or into Stalin or into the most horrible person. And what are you going to do when you stand before the judgment seat? Well, when I was 13, I believed in Christ. What would you do from that moment on in your life? We said when we started this congregation, we, there is no membership. We don't care if you're Messianic. We don't care if you keep the feast the same way that I do. I can tell you this, out of the three elders that are in this congregation, we don't do things the same way. You come to my house for Shabbat, you go to his house for Shabbat, it's different. You go to Ephraim's house, it's different for Shabbat. You take 60 to 100 people plus all the audience online, it's different. Your home is different. 
Why? Because just like last week's Torah portion, once we come out of slavery, once we come out of our old self, and we come into a place, the Lord sets up a hierarchy and a structure and give you the commandments. Then it is the job of the hierarchy and the structure to give those commandments. In your home, you have a leadership structure, and it doesn't include me. I know that's hard. Pastors like to make money and have control and all this stuff. I have no control over your house. None. The only time I'm invited into your home is if you ask me, whether that's in a friendly gathering or that's in a capacity to offer counsel or help. Other than that, it's your home. And God is still the head of your home over the structure he has placed there. Same thing when we come into this congregation. God is still control over this congregation. The moment I become in control of this congregation or Daniel or Ephraim or somebody else, the moment then you have the human element. And the human element right now, one of the biggest things that we have going on is the hardening of the heart. Not to be too political, but look at what we do every single time the news comes on. George W. Bush is going to be our savior. Oh, Barack Obama, he's an evil man. Oh, Donald Trump. They are imperfect people trying to fulfill a role that the Lord has granted them to be in. Scripture is very clear. You don't get into a leadership position unless God's put you there, even if you might be the scum of the earth. So what are we doing about the progress in our life? Each and every one of us could sit here and we could go through a laundry list of things that are negative about where we're at in our place, negative about things we've done. But that's what's done. You can't change what you did yesterday. That's why God set up the opportunity for us to become children of God through repentance and reconciliation. And I hate to break it to you, if you go through certain scenarios in your life and you're the common denominator, it's not everybody else's problem. No, you're the problem. How many times have I had to look myself in the mirror, sit on my patio, and say, I'm the problem? More times than I can count. And so what does God do? God uses other people in community to help you. It is so important who you're with. It is so important who you are with. If you want to fall away from God, go hang out with a bunch of people who don't believe in God. It's not going to take very long. You want to become Pentecostal and speak in tongues? Go hang out with them. You'll learn it. I've actually had a brother who told me he can teach me how to have the Holy Spirit of tongues. If you can teach me how to have the Holy Spirit of tongues, then it ain't the Holy Spirit, bro. If you can teach me how to do something, then it's not the Lord. No, but the Lord allows us to have counsel around us. Who you surround yourself with is important. Because in 2007, when I started working on my marriage and I became a messianic, I surrounded myself with men who were at least 20 years my age. I didn't look like them. Didn't sound like them. Grew out my Jesus hair. 
The one guy was bald. He was as country as could be. Nicest man I've ever met. He has had a huge impact on my life. I don't even know if he's messianic anymore. In fact, most of the people who I would say have had the largest influence in my life are no longer messianic. Does that mean that the messianic movement's dying? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that it should die? No. But we're making definitive statements about belief systems and situations and everything, and it's all based upon things that are selfish to ourselves. As I get older, I want the world to slow down. I want Messiah to come back. I want my bills to be paid, and I want all those blessings that CeeLo Dollar tells me are in the Bible. That's what I want. But God doesn't tell me he's going to give me what I want. He tells me he's going to give me what I need. But you still have to choose whether or not you're going to accept that. This is all about you. This is all about me. Our whole entire faith is not about being obedient to a T of perfection because you're never going to do it. Then you're going to get down on yourself. Then somebody else is going to see you and say, hey, that self-righteous person who sees you over there, they know you ain't as good as you think you are. No, I'm not as good as you think I am. I'm worse than you think I am, and I'm okay with that because ultimately at the end of the day, I'm going to overcome by my Messiah's blood and the testimony that I love him and I'm going after him every day. I'm not going to get, there's no merit badge here. I'm not a Boy Scout. I don't have all these badges to say, hey, I checked off the camping badge. I checked off the Galatians badge. Checked off the Calvinist badge. That one's for you, the Gage. I checked them off. No, I can't check off most of them. Why can't I check off most of them? Because the more I learn about God, the more I realize I just don't understand anything about him. Which is beautiful because that's the whole entire book of Ecclesiastes. Is that ultimately God is God. And I'm not. But even since the garden, we as human beings have been so enamored with the knowledge of good and evil. Enamored with it. And we make that who we've become. So, 2007, I'm becoming a better husband. I'm becoming a messianic. I did that till about 2010. Then I become, I'm becoming the founder of the Hebraic Roots Network, building something brand new, never been done before. Working all, all hours of the day and night, seven days a week, trying to create a platform, bring people together to further the movement ahead, create a conference called Revive. It's becoming the largest conference in the United States of America for Hebrew Roots Messianic Believers. Everything's on the up and up again. Once again, successful. Power. Yay. People know me. 2014, I'm becoming virtually homeless out of a job. Again, didn't make any sense. None of it made any sense to me. But that's where I was. 2014, I'm becoming an Oki. The one thing I promised God I would never do. And God made me an Oki. 2014, I'm becoming a pain in the Balaam. Is that, am I kosher enough there? Okay. They were talking about a dog, a dog collar and then like zapping me when I got too close to the line. Just get me back in line. 
in my position inside a ministry on a full-time basis. See, I came from a place where I was successful in creating a ministry. I thought I knew it all. And here I come to an established ministry, and I think I know it all too. And some of the things that should have been left behind in the corporate world and the transition into the Messianic movement and the observance and the obedience didn't. They didn't transfer. And here in 2008, I'm becoming patient. I'm becoming a Christian. I always was. A little play on words. Some of you are like, oh, he's going back. He's going to start eating ham. Nah, I ain't eating ham. Stopped eating ham before I became a Messianic. But if you look at my life and you look at what the Bible says, I'm becoming less and less worried about the nonsense that we create to define God's people. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I repent before you because I've been working inside ministries that have helped shape everything for years and years and years and years and years. Multiple different ministries all over the country. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have created a path that says this is what we become and this is who we are. No, who we are are a group of people who are still in the wilderness, who have not been brought into a promised land, who have not been brought back into the promise of God fully, who don't have our king on this earth at this point in time, and we're still in the journey. And while you're in the journey, you cannot be in the perfection. It's not possible. Stop trying to be in the perfection. Make sure you're in the journey with the heart of the Lord to move towards the progress of his kingdom. And every person that's different. Every person that's different. So for us to say that this is how you should keep the Sabbath. I haven't kept the Sabbath the same way for more than three years. Every three years it seems it changes. And every year I evaluate it. I don't feel like I'm any worse now than I was before. Even though the practice of the observance has changed. And I can tell you this. The grace by which I mess up when I keep the Sabbath or I do something else. Is the same grace that was afforded to me when I was out there sleeping with my wife before we were married. We have to afford one another the ability to be in the journey where you're at and to be the person who helps pick them up and takes them there. We need to become the people God has called us to be and stop acting like we're already there. I'm not there. Next week, I'll start a new little men's ministry thing in Florida. It's called Bibles and Bourbon. I got a lot of crap for that. Sorry, did that go over the line? I don't care. I got a lot of nonsense for that. Because no way can a man get together with another man and be honest about one another and what's going on in the scripture and have a glass of alcohol there. Uh, I hate to break it to you. I've been traveling in the Messianic movement for 12 years. Anytime you get a group of Messianics together in a place, there's normally alcohol. Whether it's wine or it's liquor, or it's beer, or it's whatever. You have blessings over the Sabbath to set apart the day just like Messiah did at the Last Supper. And I don't care whether you drink grape juice or you drink wine. It's not in my business. I don't care. But we're going to get together and we're going to be men. 
and we're going to actually take back the responsibility of where we're at in our life. And the responsibility is not about how long your seats are. It isn't about whether you went one hour over the sundown or not to keep the Sabbath. It wasn't whether or not you used a lamb shank bone or no lamb shank bone on your Seder plate. It isn't about whether an egg on the Seder plate is, is satanic or not. It's not about any of that. Because right now, that is irrelevant to us. Because we still can't figure out how to pick up the phone and be nice to the person on the other end of the phone. We can't figure out how to pick up our brothers and sisters when they're down and show them love and compassion. They will know us by our testimony. And if our testimony is that we're failures or we hate life or the world is coming to an end or whatever, that's the testimony they're going to know about us. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Right now, we have missed our mark. We must become the people who shows people that there is life because we're worried about whether there's eternal life in hell or heaven, if they even exist. What's the Greek word? Let's go back into the Septuagint. Let's go into the, the, the ancient text. Who cares? There's literally some people right now walking around in our community outside those doors who they don't even know there is life. They're not alive right now. They hate themselves. They hate everything about it. They think they've been robbed of their youth. They've been robbed of their, their, their innocence in their life. And they don't know that God loves them. They don't know that there's a hope. There is a hope. Whether Messiah comes back in five minutes or in 25 years, there's a hope. There's always been a hope. And that hope is not any of us. It is Messiah living through us. That's the new that's supposed to come out in us. That's the new. Not that all of a sudden I stopped wearing my old sandals and I stopped cursing and I stopped doing all this. That's a part of the process that normally comes by Messiah working through your heart and changing who you are. The problem is, is for too long we have forgotten that it's all about this and not about this. We spend so much time learning what the meaning of a word is that we cannot apply it to our own life. And as I grow, I'm learning. I don't know anything. But I know that there was a man who died on the cross to save the world. I know that much to be true. I know that the scripture tells me that he kept Passover. He kept the feasts of the Lord. He ate clean. He did all these things. But those weren't the miracles of Messiah. The miracles of Messiah were not that he ate dietary clean and kept these feasts. It was that he went to the people that nobody else would talk to and he healed them. They weren't worthy of the time. He took it. He took the time. And I've been guilty of that in the roughly 11, 12 years I've been in the Messianic movement. There's so many people coming. There's so many needs that I can't take the time for all of them. And in last week's Torah portion, which was just a coincidence, the Lord orchestrated it. It wasn't something we did. The Lord revealed himself to me again and said, you never learned. It's all about a structure. It's all about getting other people involved. Think of the people who you meet on an everyday basis. They don't have a clue what you believe. They don't know. Even if you wear zitziot, they don't know what that means. Most of them will never come up to you. But I guarantee you they know what you believe when you open your mouth or when you deal with your child or you talk to your wife or you look at your phone. By the way, have you ever stood in line and watched somebody just scroll through Facebook? You can tell an awful lot about who that person is and who they're friends with by their Facebook feed. 
And you're not even really trying to be nosy. It's just right there because the screens are like iPad 12s now. So it's like, whoop. What are we becoming is far more important than what we have become. Because if you're frustrated with what has become of the movement or your community or your marriage or your friendships or whatever, then what the heck are you doing still sitting here? Why aren't you doing something about it? That friend is still there that you can go get. And you can repair it. You can repent. You can have rest, reconciliation and restoration of your friendship. Your marriages are still there. Your kids are still there. There is all kinds of people out there who need you. Because you care. A greater love hath no man than the one who would lay down his life for a friend. There's no other stipulations there. There's not a stipulation that says, well, your friend who also keeps the Sabbath. Or your friend who also wears tzitzit. Or your friend who has a beard. Or your friend who drives his car or does this. There's no other stipulations there. And maybe that's too Christian. But those are the things we need to be doing right now. That's where we need to be growing. We need to stop talking about what we became. We need to worry about what we're becoming. Because if you're not thinking about what you're becoming and where you're going, then you're constantly chasing your tail with what you became. And if God is truly alive in you, if Messiah is truly working inside of you, if you've truly allowed him to do that, ask him what he wants you to become. Because my answer is not your answer. He knows us intimately. Some of you have been hurt by the movement. Some of you online have been hurt by the movement. Some of you are online because you refuse to come in here because you've been hurt by the movement. Some of you think we're weird. We are. Sorry. I'm weird enough to tell you that I don't have any answers other than one. And that is, is if I cling to Messiah and I'm constantly trying to allow him to grow me, I'm going to be okay. I have probably done more atrocious things in my life than most of you in this room. And it's not a competition. I'm just telling you, a lot of times you look at the pastor and you're like, oh, the pastor's a holy man. I have probably done more atrocious things in my life than most of the people in this room. But that's who I was. That's not who I'm becoming. And I will never stop becoming until the day I die. Whether he allows me to make it to 45 or he allows me to make it to 105, whatever. I'm not going to stop. Don't get bogged down with who you have become. Because God is still alive in you, which means you still have a huge amount of potential to become something else. Our movement has suffered as a community because the people who have gotten fed up with nonsense inside our community have left. Ephraim's talked about it before, the fight or flight. The Messianic movement in five years from now will not look the same as it did five years ago. Ten years, 15 years, whatever, it won't. And just like everything in life, it'll cycle around. 
you'll get the 50s style messianic movement back. Then you'll get some 60s where the men are allowed to wear the bell bottoms again. And all of them, all the way back to the 80s, which for some reason God won't let die. It's all going to continue to come around in a cyclical fashion as long as the Lord decides to allow us to be alive. But we got to fix ourselves and how we look at our relationship with the Lord and what his calling is on each and every one of us before we can do anything else. And every day we go out, we have a testimony. What's your testimony say about you? Because I know most of the time when I look at my own, I have to go back and I have to repent to the Father. And I have to ask him, teach me how to not be in that scenario. Teach me how to not have that facial expression. Teach me how to have a filter. Teach me how to have compassion. Teach me how to do this. Teach me how to do that. And those of you who know me know I work off of a little wind system. Every conversation, every thought, every situation, you have the potential to have a win or a loss. If you blew up on your kids, loss. If you blew up on your wife, loss. If you had the opportunity to help out a brother in need and you chose not to because you questioned their motives or whatever, loss. Everything is about a win or a loss. In my mind, that's how I process it. So every opportunity the Lord gives me in a relationship, in an environment, every situation, was that a win or was that a loss? Did I do what the Lord told me to do or did I do what I was not supposed to? And it helps me every day to understand how many wins I had versus how many losses I had. If I'm thinking in my mind, man, I'm, I'm getting beat up. I got to double down. I don't have to wait three weeks to double down. I double down now. If we're in overtime on the day and it's down to a sudden death field goal on whether or not I had a win for the day or a loss for the day, I need to double down. I need to go in there and make sure I gave my wife a huge hug or extra special song for my daughters. I need to do something above and beyond the normal. Because it's easy just to get caught up in the day. The progress of where we're at on our spiritual journey is the most important thing because many people act as if the journey is already done and they've already arrived. And we haven't arrived yet. I have a feeling, as much as everybody speculates on the second coming of Messiah and that, I have a feeling that, that the people who are really striving to understand Messiah, who are really striving to have the Holy Spirit live inside them, I have a feeling there will be no shadow of a doubt whether it's Messiah or not. We will know. I have a feeling we will know. I feel like it's going to be one of those scenarios of the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the Lord speaks, and they tremble like babies. And they fall on their face, and they say, Moses, you got to go. We can't stand before a holy God. Everything we do in our life is about becoming closer to God. Daniel, will you come?
part, pardon us for our technical difficulties. Adonai spoke unto Moshe and said, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, and tell them, In this way shall you bless the children of Israel. you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince of